like to welcome you to a passage class tonight. We're going to have a good time as so we we'll go back to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. We are three weeks in. This is the fourth week. Started with uh, me going through the Beatitudes, and then uh, Kyler came along, finished that up, and then Mike got us launched into verse 17, 18, 19, and 20. And now today, we're going to pick up in verse 21, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, and go into verse 26. It is what Jesus says about anger, and it is really convicting. So let's read the passage, and then let's just sort of dive right into it. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and following. This is what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. All right, let's pray about it, and then let's talk about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use it in our hearts. God, I pray that you would make us more like Christ. Lord, help us that we might let go of those things that make us angry. Find ways to be people that, that reconcile with others, that, that live in the ministry of reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, to get a handle on this, let's go back a little bit uh, to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. This is what Mike covered last Wednesday in the pastor's class. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, Jesus turns his attention, after the ethics of the Beatitudes, he turns his attention to what the Pharisees and Sadducees believed. It's what we believe. He took the Bible. And he says now in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. So he's bringing the Bible forward, the Old Testament. Do not think that I've come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. So think of the, the Law and the Prophets as a half circle. Jesus says, don't think that I'm going to do away with the half circle. What I'm going to do is make it a full circle. I'm going to fill the uh, Law and the Prophets full. And then after saying that, verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, He brings us to the Sixth Commandment. He's going to deal with anger. He'll do this several times. There are six antitheses, six antitheses. When I say antitheses, here's what I mean. Jesus will say something like this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. And then he'll say, but I say to you, and then he'll give his filling full of what that commandment is. He's going to do this six times. And it's interesting to me that he starts out with anger. A couple of things I think we can learn. Uh, let's go through this passage and let's just pick out some things generally, and then let's pick out some things very specifically 
that we can apply to our lives. So what I'd like to do is back up and start with a wide angle on all that Jesus has said and then go in to a very narrow angle having to do with anger. First thing that I would um, that, that jumped out to me as I read through this and saw Jesus dealing with the Ten Commandments, the first thing is that we should know and love the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. There is a, a, a movement in Christianity oftentimes to not pay very much attention to the Old Testament, and especially the Ten Commandments, which is, a, I think, a bad thing. Because the Ten Commandments are there uh, not to tell us how to become a Christian. The Ten Commandments historically have been used in three different ways. In fact, the old way, the Protestant Reformation, brought about this understanding of the law. There are three primary uses of the law. One use uh, of the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament law is to give us a mirror of God's righteousness. So we look there into the Old Testament, we look into the law, and we see there is this holiness, this righteousness of God. That same mirror is used to show our own sinfulness. So the Ten Commandments are useful for pointing us to our need for a Savior. That's one use. Another use is uh, for the Ten Commandments is they're, they're useful for uh, restraining evil. Here we are in the United States. Most of our law codes are built on a Judeo-Christian ethic, and that ethic is there. The laws are there to actually hold back evil, to show us that which is harmful. When people do harmful things, they're breaking the law. That's one use of the law. Another use of the law will be a third one, is, uh, is how we use it now. Once you're a Christian, how do you use the Old Testament? How do you use the, the Ten Commandments? Well, you would use the Ten, Commandment as, the Ten Commandments as a guide. So the Ten Commandments serve as a guide for regenerate uh, people that have been born again. So you've come to Christ, you've been born again. The law there gives you a picture of what it looks like to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And so here's what we find Jesus doing in this passage. He's going to go through uh, the rest of chapter 5. He'll pick six of these antitheses. You've heard it said, and he's going to, he quotes a commandment. And then he adds to it by way of filling it full. In other words, it's not just giving you a law to keep. He's going to go into the inside. One of the good things for us to do is just to, to genuinely love the Ten Commandments, to love God's law. In fact, it used to be when you taught your children before we had children's church and Sunday school, you would teach your children, discipling them with the Ten Commandments. You would use the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, and then you would use a catechism. We had that here, the uh, New City Catechism. We used that. Charles Spurgeon has a great Baptist catechism. But, but the point is, when we read this passage, we're reminded to know and love the Ten Commandments. Now, let's get into what Jesus says here, and let's take another point. Let's, let's take a, a step into it in verse 21. And the second point is, we are to take judgment seriously. That, that sin is, is not only missing the mark, sin is an affront to a holy God. Listen, listen to the words of judgment in this passage. Listen to what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So an Old Testament is 
judgment. But look what Jesus does. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, not just killing someone, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the fiery hell or the hell of fire. And you can keep reading this. This whole passage about anger is filled with Jesus himself talking about judgment. One of the things that we must hold on to as Christians, those that believe that, that God is holy, man's a sinner, and Jesus saves, let us not forget uh, who it is we're, 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 we're dealing with and the trouble that we were in before Jesus came. That, that judgment is a real part of who God is. That He's not only uh, loving and gracious, He certainly is, and merciful. The reason we need mercy is that He is a, a judging God, a, a God that is angry at sin. In fact, I uh, just, just today <clears throat> finished the book of Leviticus in my Bible reading. I got my plan mixed up uh, that John's given us, and I had to go back and get Leviticus. I just finished Leviticus, and the very last chapter, the last two chapters, is just filled with God saying, if you break these commandments, there's this terrible uh, judgment over and over and over again. Now, you would think that that was left in the Old Testament, but the truth of the matter is Jesus brings it forward. And He says it's not just if you commit this heinous sin of killing. There is... There's more to judgment. It's, it's what happens to you on the inside. It's interesting to me uh, that he, in verse 21, has these sort of downward stepping into more intense judgment. And you'll notice that in verse uh, 21 and then in verse 22, he ends with this hell of fire. You see that at the very end of verse 22? The hell, hell of fire? It's good to remember that of all the writings in the New Testament, where hell is talked about the most, it comes out of the mouth of Jesus. And right here in this passage, he's using a word that in Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna. That is uh, it's first time. It's the first time in the New Testament you see the word Gehenna, and uh, it is a description of the Valley of Hinnom. Now that valley is south of Jerusalem, and uh, it's important because there, you can find this in 2 Chronicles if you want to go and cross-reference, uh, there in that valley south of Jerusalem, King Ahaz and also King Manasseh, both of them advocated child sacrifice to the god Molech. And there you would, um, there in that valley would be where children were killed, there, that would become where people would throw uh, corpses. It would be a refuse pile. It's a nasty, terrible burning. There'd be fire out there, a burning place. And it, it, came to, it came to symbolize this eternal fire. And when you read this passage, you find out that Jesus is very serious about God's judgment. And, and here he not only says about capital punishment for someone that commits a murder, uh, that they should be executed. Uh, this, this goes deeper. Jesus looks into our hearts. And, and now you have this, this Christian ethic that must go beyond actions we take. 
that goes into condition of the heart. And that brings me to the next point. And that is, you and I should never excuse anger. Anger. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 21. He speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that have kept the law. And he says, now you've got the box checked. You've never killed anyone. But I want to fill it full and tell you something different about what this commandment, where it goes. And in verse 21, he says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders, liable to judgment. Okay, that's Old Testament. Here comes New Testament. But I say to you, everyone who is angry is liable to judgment. See that phrase, liable to judgment? He, he, he talked later about um, the, the hell of fire, the um, Gehenna. He says it's not just people that kill people that ought to go to hell. Jesus says that if you are a person given to anger, you, you are an angry man or woman, you should go to hell. This is really strong language. Maybe you've been through the book, uh, Respectable Sins. I've used it with several uh, men's discipleship groups. And uh, it's a really good book. It's a reminder of some of the things that we sort of let go. Uh, one of them being uh, pride or ambition. Another should be anger. So often, I guess this happens with men and women, so often people will say that if you have a bad temper, if you lose your temper, you, you might say, that's just, that's just how I am. That's how I was raised. That's just sort of who I am. I, I fly off the handle. Um, and I, I think that we should think through as Christians that we're so often we excuse things that Jesus has said that would send you to hell. Now, I know that there is righteous indignation. I know that there are things that are worthy of being mad about, but I would guess that very seldom are we angry at the things that God is angry at. God has the right to be angry. His anger is not emotional. His, his anger is, is, this, is this just wrath. Our anger oftentimes, most times, maybe every time, has to do with some sort of personal affront. James knew that. In James 1.20, James says that the anger of man very seldom brings about, the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. Think about the last time that you were mad, that you uh, shouted at your spouse in anger, at your child in anger, or, or God forbid you, you yelled at a parent in anger, or, or in a car in anger. That had nothing to do with the righteousness of God. It had more to do with you. And Jesus goes right to the heart in this passage. He said, look now, the, the commandment is murder, but the heart of that commandment has to do with who you are. He says that uh, anger, anger brings about judgment, which is really bad because most of us here, most of you at home, one of the things that early on in my Christian life that I, I struggled with was a bad temper. One of the things you got to get a hold of if you're going to live for Christ and honor God with your life is if you are given to anger. How do we do that? Well, one of the things we can do is we, we repent of that. 
Another thing you can do is ask God. You need to ask God to help you, to help your mouth, to, to do something to, to keep you uh, out of situations that are going to give way to anger. You can pray and spend time in God's Word. Learn to take a step back. Walk away. Uh, one, of the good th one of the things that helps me is to, is to visualize where this is going to end. If you're going to send a really nasty email or respond on social media, what, what kind of damage is this going to do to your uh, witness and your gospel presentation? I would just say from the passage, don't excuse, don't excuse anger. I think that uh, I think that this speaks to something else. Number three, or let's make it number four, and that is to to not result and not resort, excuse me, to insults. Don't resort to end. We live in a world that loves to put people down. And Jesus brings that up right to the very surface in verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you in verse 22, just look at it with me there. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Insult. Whoever insults his brother. Your Bible might have the, uh, the transliteration. It's the word raka. It's the, um, it's, it's the word uh, that it, it's hard to put into English. It could mean something like uh, empty head. It could mean something like you're an idiot. Uh, you're a bonehead. Uh, you're dumb as a post. You got a head um, like a box of rocks. I mean, there are lots of sort of things it could, it could mean. What it is, is Jesus saying, if you are intentionally demeaning to someone, if your intent when you speak to that person is to put them down, you've done something. You've done something that deserves judgment. Think about the negative things that you've said about people. Think about the things that have come, come out of your mouth about someone else and, and them be completely demeaning. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about, I have to be careful here because there are some ways we uh, kid around sometimes and the intent is to actually to, to, to encourage or connect with. We need to be careful with that. What I'm talking mostly about is if you in anger say something that is demeaning about someone, even if it's true, Jesus says you stand in need of judgment. Why? Well, you're denying the image of God in that person. Uh, if somebody, somebody else hears you say something like that and they know you're a Christian, it harms the gospel. But the more you do that, maybe you've felt this before, the more you're able to actually, uh, with intent, insult people, it, it hardens your own heart. It makes it so that you'll be less and less sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. So how, what do we do to combat that? If you're really good with insults, let's say you're creative and you're really good with insulting people and that comes out in anger sometimes at other people, I would say you need to take some active steps to find ways to do just the opposite. Find ways to encourage people. I don't mean just compliment, I mean actually speak a good truth into somebody's life. One way that, uh, that's good for me and my own soul is if I'm praying for someone and uh, there's a specific thing I'm praying for, oftentimes I'll try to 
to uh, write that prayer out in a text. It doesn't have to be long, but to take the prayer and text that to someone so that I'm not only not insulting, but before the Lord, building someone up. Something else that you uh, should take a look at, notice how it goes down. So uh, anger and then insulting. And now Jesus talks about uh, character. Be careful. Be careful what you say about someone's character. Let me show you where I get that. It's right here in verse 22. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to Gehenna, the hell of fire. You fool. The word, uh, Greek word there under, under you fool is uh, the word moros. It's where we, uh, we get the word moron. You might even find it in um, someone that's uh, in 10th grade or their second year in college would be a sophomore, be a wise fool. And if you uh, know someone like that, you probably say, yeah, it probably fits. Uh, the, the word really is more than just saying someone doesn't have very much sense. This word, in the day and time when it was spoken, when Jesus used it, had a real ethical feel. This is uh, in anger, denouncing someone's character, their truthfulness, possibly calling them a liar. You're saying they don't have any integrity. It is, it is tantamount to you actually telling someone to go to hell. That's what, this is, that's what Jesus is saying. And if you're doing that, Jesus says, you actually yourself deserve Gehenna. This is, this is very harmful. So you see the descending nature, the intensity of verses 21 and 22. Jesus brings us down from anger to insult to now you're, you're, you're maligning someone's character. And he speaks of how terrible that is and how judgment worthy it is. And then he turns the corner in verse 23. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 23, he starts with the word so. I have the English word here, so. What that is, is based on everything I've said, now I want to make some application. So let me give you my, um, my sixth point. And that has to do, believe it or not, has to do with worship. Being genuinely sensitive in worship. Now before I read verse 23, I just want to give a... Um, a word of personal testimony, how God's Word works. This passage right here is uh, uh, really close to my heart because every year, there was a long time that I was estranged from someone, uh, and, and every year I'd come to this passage and every year would be convicted when I read it. Because the wording in this passage, what Jesus says is, not if you hold something against someone else, but let's say you're over it. The way it's worded is, if you know that your brother has something against you, that, that he's still struggling. So let me, let me read it and look at the context. Verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, see, it's, it's worship. If you're, you're, let's put it in our context, you're at church. This is uh, the synagogue or the temple. You're, you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember something. Look what do you remember. That your brother has something against you. Maybe you're over it completely. You guys were fighting, and you thought, well, I'm dumb to fight about that anymore. You're over it, and 
He's not. You know that your brother has something against you. Look at the prescription. Leave your gift there. Stop your worship. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now let's just sort of break this down, verse 23 and 24. When I read this, I thought, you know what? I, I hope that people, when, when they're worshiping at Hickory Grove Baptist Church, when we're here on Sundays and we're watching online, there's so many distractions, I hope that you can engage to the degree that God's Word speaks to your heart and the Holy Spirit takes that and applies it and you, you sense conviction. It takes humility. I mean, this passage speaks of someone who could, could very easily say, well, that's not my problem. I'm over it. But that, that's not the posture this person has taken. Jesus paints a picture for us. And He says, this is the, po this is the posture of conviction. And then I would just say, not only feel it, then act on those convictions. Jesus says this person is in worship, and in the midst of worship, something has happened, and remember, I am still at odds with somebody, or, or, or they're at odds with me. And when you read verse 24, his prescription is to go and actually do something. Well, what is that something that we are to do? That brings me to my seventh point. And that is, our job is to initiate real reconciliation. Now look, if you're a Christian, you're listening to me tonight, you're, you're studying the Bible and you want to follow Christ, I commend that. If you have someone that you're at odds with right now, especially if it's a brother or sister in Christ, then I just would say that the, the, the Bible speaks to you actually yourself initiating reconciliation. I mean, let me just read it to you. I'll, I'll read it again. You see if God will use His Word for your heart. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Okay, does someone have something against you? Is there a brokenness between you and someone else? If that's the case, leave your gift at the altar. Go and first be reconciled to your brother or your sister. There's somebody you need to be reconciled to. Why? Well, you you believe the gospel? We believe that the gospel is that which reconciles us to God. We believe that the gospel is that which reconciles us to one another. If, if you don't follow through with reconciliation, let's say that that someone is here at this church. Our church is large <clears throat> on when things are like they're supposed to be, when COVID's gone and we're all back together. There's a good chance that you could go to Hickory Grove Baptist Church with people for years and years and years and actually never even see them. We have two different uh, services here at uh, Harris Campus, and we have one service here at North Campus or the Mallow Creek Campus. You could just avoid. It'd be real easy to avoid someone. That's not what the Bible calls us to do. And if you keep avoiding, what's going to happen is your worship is going to suffer. If you'll seek re reconciliation, it's going to remove tension. It's going to make it so that it's um that it's not all, it's not awkward. How awkward is it to see someone at church when you're supposed to be worshiping the Lord with that you are estranged from? Uh, when you seek reconciliation, it it honors God. It displays the gospel. It reminds people that what you say you believe, you actually do believe. It's real. It works. So I would just say when you read this passage, it reminds us. 
to initiate real reconciliation. Let me give you a, another thought, a last thought from Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. Number 8, I think it is. And that is to, to be courageous in your efforts. So it, take, it takes some courage to do that. When there's been a broken relationship, be courageous in your efforts, but they don't always work. Be courageous in your efforts, but, but learn to live with the outcome. Be courageous, but learn to live with the outcome. Let me take you back to the, to the passage. It's verse 25 and 26, and you'll notice in those two verses, Jesus paints the picture of an out-of-court settlement between two litigants. Let me, let me read it to you. <clears throat> Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser, he gives this really bad, bad situation. This is what could happen to you. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and the guard throw you into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not get out of there until you pay the last cent. In other words, it can go really bad. The point Jesus is making is, why don't you make peace? I mean, the longer you wait, some of you know this, the longer you wait, the harder it is to do, the more awkward it becomes. And if you wait long enough, it never actually gets done. And then you're, you're, you're this Christian that believes in reconciliation, and yet you still got this open wound out there. But the truth is, sometimes you can't fix it. Sometimes people are not going to be forgiving. Sometimes... Sometimes the hurt will run so deep or they just, you just can't bring about reconciliation. That's when you and I have got to fall back on what Paul says. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Remember what he says there? Paul says, if, if possible, so far as it depends on you. If possible, you got to try. So far as it depends on you. Make sure it's not you that's keeping reconciliation from happening. Paul says, you are to live peaceably with all people. This, is, this is all speaks of forgiveness. I'm going to assume the most, of us, most of us watching tonight are, are Christians. You've received the forgiveness that God gives at the cross of Jesus. But that forgiveness, um, it doesn't stay there. Forgiveness has to be extended. And forgiveness is a really powerful Thing. Notice how this passage moves from anger to forgiveness. Do you know someone that you have been angry with and it just sort of time has kind of taken it away, but it, it's still an open wound there? I would just uh, encourage you tonight to find a way in your convictions, be courageous and extend forgiveness. And let's Seek reconciliation. You've been reconciled to God through Jesus. Now you should be reconciled to other people. All right, let's, let's pray together. We'll close uh, and look forward to next Wednesday night. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you for the gospel that saves and forgives. I pray that at Hickory Grove, you would make us men and women that seek reconciliation under the Lordship of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.